0: I know habit tells us and tradition tells us that we're supposed to read this story that uh, Mary Jane read to us from Luke's gospel at Christmas time, right? December 25th, not in October, not early October. And some of us are saying, yeah, I'm familiar with this story. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've heard this before. But I want you to know, you probably know this. There's so much good stuff here that we, with familiarity with the story, can miss so many truths about God and his greatness. So this morning, I I would challenge us to rethink the familiar. Remember Luke's intentions. If you, if you have your Bibles open, I hope you kept them open or you'd open them up. Luke chapter 1, the reason Luke wrote his gospel, he was writing to his friend Theophilus. And in verse 3, it says in chapter 1 of Luke, It seemed good to me, also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So I don't know if Luke knew it or not, but he was not writing his gospel just for Theophilus. But he was writing it for for the saints, for believers through the centuries, that we would have confidence that what we've heard about Jesus, that it was true. So that we would have that assurance. So this morning I would like you to ask yourselves, why did Luke... Why did, excuse me, why did Luke write this? But why did the Holy Spirit have Luke write this information about Jesus' birth? Because God wants you to know this. He wants you not to miss some important details about his plans for the salvation work that he promised to do in this world. So we learn a lot about God from this Christmas story. And it's so familiar that we can overlook these great truths. God had reasons for telling us this story. One of is the prophecy is fulfilled. The angels speak some pretty cool words. They're important. Angels appearing to shepherds. That's significant. And we're reminded that God's grace is needed greatly by this world so that we can have a peaceful relationship with our God. Again, that was lost. We learn the right way to respond when God clues us in to what he's doing in the world. So here, besides those important ideas, are a couple key ideas. There's one God. He's sovereign. He's holy. Fear him. Reverential fear. Second thought. When God moves in grace, we have nothing to fear. Fear God. But when God moves in grace, have nothing to fear. Or to put it another way, (laughs) know God and respond well in believing trust like the shepherds. God's favor is real. So let's take a look. Be awed and assured as God's plan unfolds. We didn't read the first seven verses of chapter two. Let's do that together now. This reminds us of God's unrivaled sovereign power. Luke's writing style highlights it. He loves to compare. Chapter 2, verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Rivaled sovereignty. Luke loves to do contrast. I mentioned that. And he's comparing Zechariah with Mary and the way they responded to the angel Gabriel's messages to them about John the Baptist and and the birth of Jesus. And now he's comparing earthly kings with heavenly kings. So let me ask you a question. Who's in charge? Well, if you were living in the world at this time, One of the right answers would have been Caesar. Of course, it's Caesar Augustus. He's in charge. He's the emperor. But the truth is, God's in charge. God Almighty's in charge. He alone is the sovereign one. He alone is in control. He has no rival. So Caesar makes a decree. But really, God, long ago, made a decree. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we won't take time to turn back there, but God promised to David, King David, that the Messiah would come from his line, that there would be a king from his descendants that would be the promised Messiah. Messiah would come through David. In Isaiah chapter 7, we're told that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, In Micah chapter 5, it said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So God decreed these things, and now the appointed time has come, and it's happening. Salvation history is unfolding just as God planned. A virgin from Nazareth goes with her husband to Bethlehem, and the God, the Savior, is born there. We're not even sure that Mary really had to go with Joseph but circumstances seem to dictate it, maybe to protect her from ridicule or from being alone or from gossip. Or maybe Joseph just wanted to be present because the baby was due to come. We don't know the reasons, but God worked it out. There's one God. He's holy. That means he's set apart. There's no one else like God in heaven or on earth or as the scriptures say, under the earth. There's nothing in all the universe that can compare with him. Go-to passage for Pastor Matt Meter, Isaiah chapter 40. Listen to these words when you think about how God is set apart. God's talking about himself. Isaiah writing about God says in verse 12 of Isaiah 40, And who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Think about how much water covers the earth. And the picture here is God measures it in his hand. That's how large and awesome and great he is. And marked off the heavens with a span. Like, you know how you measure with your fingers? That's about six inches for me. He measured it off with his hand. Who enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did God consult and who made him understand? Who taught God the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge? Who showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Think about that right now. What nation are you afraid of? Their drop in the bucket to God. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, aren't accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for the fuel, nor are its beasts enough for the burnt offerings. All nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare him with? Then he goes on to talk about idols. Wow, they're pretty amazing things, these things we carve and shape by our own hands. Compared to God, they're nothing. Fear him. There's no other one like God. This is reverential fear. Don't turn away from God. Turn toward him. Why would I say that? He's unrivaled in his sovereign power, but... Secondly, he's unrivaled in his humility. There's no one like God. There's no one who's as compassionate or kind or humble. The Lord of all is unrivaled in his humility. You might not have noticed, but think about this. Luke chapter 1 is 80 verses long in my Bible. That's a lot of ink. That's a lot of press about getting ready for John the Baptist and Jesus to be born. And then Jesus comes, and it's only seven verses. (laughs) Wow. Jesus' humble arrival teaches us so much about God. It's a study in contrast, you see. Gabriel told Mary that her son would rule over an everlasting kingdom. Zechariah, when his mouth was finally opened up to praise God, said the coming one, the promised one, is going to be like the sun and give off great light so that we can find the path of peace. And yet the birth of Jesus is so quiet, so simple, so easily missed. Daryl Bach, uh, in his commentary, says, why did God send Jesus this way? If it was up to you, how would you have sent Jesus? What's God saying to the world by the way Jesus came? What's he telling us? You know, in this world of self-promotion, I mean, even we church families get caught up with it, right? Self-promotion, like our websites have to be a certain way, right? Because we want to promote who we are, give the best light. What's God saying to the world of humanity? Who's the most important person in Rome? Who's the most important person in Jerusalem? Caesar? Is it King Herod? Is it the high priest? Is it the Pharisees? Is it the Sadducees? And the answer is, well, who has angels declaring that he's arrived? That's who's most important. But there's no parade There's no fireworks. There's no trumpet fanfares. There's no website. There's no podcast. There's no YouTube channel. There's not a measurement of how many hits. His earthly parents are alone. They're away from family. Nothing's familiar. They're in a room with other animals or a stall or a cave or a barn. And the king of kings is laid in a feeding trough. Why would the Lord of glory enter this world that way? Would you have sent the Lord of glory to earth that way? There's a chorus from a hymn. Maybe some of you know it, Out of the Ivory Palaces. Here's the chorus. Out of the ivory palaces into a world of woe, Only his great eternal love made my Savior go. It's the only reason he came. He loved us. God loved us that much. So how Jesus came gives us a new perspective on what really matters to God and should really matter to you and me. God's way is to be our way. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, then God's way needs to be becoming Our way. The Apostle Paul, in the letter to the Philippian believers, said this about Jesus. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even... Death on the cross. So that's God's way. God empties himself to rescue. He did it out of love and care and compassion and mercy. He never empty, emptied himself of divinity. Jesus was always God, is always God, will forever be God. He never was not God but he gave up his glories to rescue me and you. So those, the way Jesus came reminds me about James. James chapter two, where he says, my brothers, and I'm going to add sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our, hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here and in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or, or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom with which He has promised to those who love Him? I took time to read those passages just to remind us of God's way and to make sure it's becoming our way. More and more growing in it. Don't you dare measure measure your worth. Don't you dare measure your worth or other people's worth by their yearly income or their street address or their GPA. Don't have to worry about mine being too high. if they're famous, how many hits they get on their social media platform, or if they might be the next GOAT. Do you know what the GOAT is greatest of all time? You know what God worries about? Do they love me? Or do they just give me lip service so other people think they're important and love me? Do they love their neighbors, all their neighbors, or do they just love people who think like them and act like them and they're comfortable with? God says what's most important is if you love me and you love everyone the way I love everyone. That's God's greatness, you see. It's seen in this. He comes and he walks with us as we are where we are. He doesn't insulate himself from our troubles, but he walks right into our troubles. All the foolish choices that we make and other people make that make our lives miserable, Jesus come to us and he becomes sin for us so that we can become the sons and daughters of God. There's no one who can rival the power of God Almighty. And there is no one who can match his humility. But, child of God, we can become more like him through Christ. By faith in Christ, we become fellow heirs with Christ. We have the life of Christ living in us. Don't allow the Christmas story, even though it's so familiar, to miss those important points that God is almighty and God is mighty in humility in order to rescue us because of his great love. Well, let's move on from the first seven verses and go to verses 8 through 14. We read part of that story. It was was read for us when the, the shepherds were out in the fields. And there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. It's likely these shepherds were pastoring sheep destined to be slaughtered in the temple worship. They were part, this was part of the temple economy. This was the good and the bad that Jesus confronted later on in his ministry. And shepherds in the Old Testament and the New Testament writings, they have a pretty pretty good press. I mean, like, think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. That's a very positive picture. God is a good shepherd. David was a shepherd boy who became king. He's a great example. A picture of Christ who was was to come. A better shepherd, the greater shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. But they're also bad shepherds. Shepherds had a bad reputation. Their work made them ceremonially unclean. So even though they were taking care of sheep who were destined to be part of the worship that God commanded in the temple, because of their association with with sheep and the dirtiness of it, they were kind of unclean. So they were looked down on in society at this time because of their work. They were considered unreliable. So their testimony wasn't really accepted in the court of law. And I love uh, Leon Morris's quote. They had the unfortunate habit of confusing what was yours with what was theirs. (laughs) Just a nice way of saying they were thieves. Had a reputation for taking things, having sticky fingers, however you want to say it. And one of the greatest moments in history, in human history, when God came to live among us, shepherds were told the news first. What's God telling us? That it's good news for all of us. That he cares not just about the rich and the famous, the smart and the successful, but he equally loves all people, ordinary, common, uncommon, and not so ordinary. God comes seeking all of us. Before God, there's only sinful people who need God's gift of grace to be brought into a good and holy standing before God. There's some great repeated themes in this story. When holy angels appear, there's nothing but fear. Why is that so? Because in that moment, humans feel their weakness, their impurity in the presence of a greater power and purity. But let me give you a warning. Don't be obsessed with holy angels. Why? Because they're not our Savior. They're creatures who were created by our Savior and they worship Him. Demons counterfeit holy angels. They act like them, so don't dabble in the supernatural. Avoid witchcraft and Ouija boards And things of the occult and fortune-seeking and all those things. Do not mess with it. God forbids it because Jesus is Lord and Savior, not angels. So walk in faith with Jesus. Angels serve him. We go into the presence of God through Christ, not through angels. And don't look for demons. Don't look to overcome demons. Just take Ephesians 6, starting at verse 12, and read through many verses there, and that shows you how to resist evil and to stay near to Christ. So, there's awe and fear in the presence of angels because human weakness and sinfulness is suddenly exposed to holiness. But we also notice this. Praise fills Luke's opening chapter. That's another characteristic. Universal praise to God. The holy angels say it. God rescues one, We should have praise crossing our lips often. How about you? Did you complain this week? No, you didn't. You didn't grumble either. We're prone to it. It's a habit. We just, it comes to us naturally, but I want you to know, believers in Christ, we need to kind of up our game and grow in praising God. Giving thanks to God regularly. Let that become a growing part because we're so prone to complaining and grumbling. Let praises of God fill our mouths. Remember, Zechariah didn't believe God's word to him when the angel Gabriel came and said, you're going to have a son. But we're old, he said. Well, because you won't believe me, you can't speak. But when his mouth was opened, the first thing that came out was praises and giving God glory. And what did Elizabeth and Mary do when they got together and they were sharing pregnancy stories and, and all those kind of things together, supporting one another? They gave glory to God. What did the angels do? They gave glory to God. And then there's a lot of signs. Zechariah, you're not going to be able to speak. That was a sign. I'm going to do what I said, God was telling him. Elizabeth was pregnant in her old age. That's a sign. I'm going to do what I said. Find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Go check out the sign. I'm doing what I said I would do. I'm sending a savior. Glory to God was the response. Just before we move on, look at verse 14. The angels declare God's glory. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those on whom he is pleased or on whom his favor rests. What is God's favor and peace? I love the book of Titus, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. When did God's grace appear? Well, it's talking about the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happened when this grace that brought salvation appeared? It's for all people, he says in verse eleven. Titus does, the apostle Paul does in Titus's letter training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright godly lives in this present age waiting for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us or to buy us back from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works and then he says it again in chapter 3 verse 4 but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God's favor, his grace brings salvation, not judgment. When God moves in grace, you have nothing to fear. When God moves in wrath, look out. But God has come in grace. Jesus' death for sin cleanses us. It justifies us before God. And when he appears again, we're going to be delivered from everything physical and spiritual that troubles us now. His kingdom's going to bring spiritual flourishing. We're going to have pure minds, pure hearts, no wrestling with sin anymore. We're going to have economic flourishing. No one's going to be lacking. No one's going to be hungry. No one's going to be thirsty. No one's not going to have a roof over their head. No one's not going to have a vineyard. We're going to be physically flourishing, economically flourishing, politically flourishing flourishing. There's justice for all. There's no more war. There will be peace. So how do you get this peace? How do you get this favor from God? Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. It's through faith in Christ. We receive God's favor and peace by believing in God's good news. God's showing great favor to these shepherds who were not shown very much favor by the society in which they lived. Don't be afraid, you're not in trouble. Were you one of those kids, I'm looking at you, Jim Malin, that your name came up first when there was a group of people doing something wrong? <laughs> because you had a reputation. No, I'm kidding, yeah. I shouldn't pick on Jim. I was too chicken to be one of those kind of kids. Well, that's who we are, guilty. But God looks at us, and he doesn't call out our name in anger, but he calls it out in mercy and compassion and love and says, come and become my son or my daughter. His grace isn't just for people who sit in the front pews. It's for all you people who sit way in the back. Yeah, there you are. The good news isn't just for people who go to church. The good news is for everyone who's never darkened the door of a place where God is loved and worshiped. The deliverer has arrived, and God wants you to know it, shepherds. You're the first on his list. So what do you do when God gives you that message? And he says, I want you to be in my family. I want you to be my son, my daughter. I want you to be an heir with me and share in all my glories. Well, look what the shepherds did. They believed what they were told. (laughs) When the angels went away from them into heaven, by the way, angels just don't disappear. They go back home. They go to heaven where they came from. And the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They were shown God's favor and they responded wisely. They went with haste to Bethlehem. They saw the baby lying in a manger. Maybe they compared notes with Mary. You know, some angels came to us and told us some things. Did you ever see an angel? <laughs> I don't know if they shared stories or not. They glorified and praised God for all they had heard and seen. So what lessons do we learn? There is a time to be noisy when God tells you something and you hear it and you see it happening. There's a time to let it be known, to tell everyone, whether they want to hear it or not, I'm sure they got reactions from people. These shepherds, oh, like, they were amazed at what they were saying, and there are some people saying they're crazy, they've been, you know, whatever they've been doing. Other people believed them or, or were thinking, but the shepherds told what they knew to be true. And what God's telling me is here, go and do likewise. Don't be ashamed of God when you see his word coming true and his gracious favor being poured out on people. Tell people what God is doing in your life and you see it in others' lives. Don't be afraid to glorify God and let people hear your praises for what he's done. And I told you, Luke likes to compare things. So what's next? Be noisy and then be quiet and ponder because that's what Mary did. She treasured up all these things in her heart and pondered them. There's a time to be quiet like Mary, to ponder what God's done, God's unrivaled sovereignty and his unrivaled humility and the amazing ways he sent Jesus, the Messiah, to rescue us from sin. Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, the angels appearing to her, to Zechariah, to the shepherds, messages sent from heaven directly to them, God's son coming. Here she was, this young virgin, and she got to be a part of God's miracle, of his grace coming. Grace, favor on her and Joseph, God's favor being poured out on Zechariah and Elizabeth. That was miraculous too. And now these shepherds are a part of the story. She just pondered it all and was thinking, God, what are you doing? What is God doing? What do you think? Never tire of hearing and thinking about the Christmas story. So it's really good to read it more than just in December. There's too many truths about God to ponder and to reponder and to meditate on. Luke wrote this gospel to give us confidence that this is true. And God was working then and God is working now because Jesus is alive and he's coming back and he wants people to know that. So be awed by God's unrivaled sovereignty and his plan that's unfolding. Even in our day when we think it's a mess, God is moving the world to... Welcome him back into his his glorious kingdom is coming. And the world may not welcome it back, but we can be ready and help others to be ready to welcome it. God is set apart in his power and his humility. Worship God. But remember, when God moves in grace, we have nothing to fear. And if you're a believer in Christ today, you have nothing to fear. Sin can never take you away from his face and his glory. It is conquered through faith in Christ. You can receive God's favor by believing that Jesus is the Christ. Grace undeserved and it's received by faith. So be like the shepherds. Don't be quiet. Believe and join the angels and tell the news of the Savior, but also be like Mary and ponder all that God is accomplishing because God's favor is real. Let's pray. God, how desperate we are. There isn't a place On this planet, there isn't a tribe or a nation that doesn't need to receive your favor. So open our eyes, Lord, to see your mighty power and your glory and to trust in nothing else but the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask you today to bring peace, to bring peace into every life and heart and every soul through the Lord Jesus Christ today that faith would grow. Lord, teach us to love the way you loved us. Teach us to raise others up the way you raise us up, even though we don't deserve it. And Lord, I pray you would help us to declare your glories loudly. Teach us to be loud. And teach us to be quiet and ponder who you are. And we ask this for the glory of Jesus.